0: This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com Dear brothers and sisters, when a person is being tested, there are often a few questions that come to their minds that pound the pain of that trial or that test. You know, one of the things that they talk about is the need for closure. And the need for closure is in multiple ways. In one way, a person needs to feel like they can see the end of that trial within their own lifetime or within sight. On the other hand, it's also a form of closure to be able to come to terms with why or why not, you know, and what, what, the, what the purpose of, uh, is this and what purpose it serves in my life, is it bringing me closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is this happening to me because of something that I've done, And when you're in the midst of a trial, it's a lot harder to grapple with those questions when it's so much easier to give that advice to someone else when they're in it. You know, we grow up our whole lives reciting Surah Al-Duha. You understand the idea of a burden that is at some point lifted. But when you're in the midst of a trial, there are certain elements that can really bring all of those concepts into question and cause you to question yourself. Amongst them is the idea of Allah punishing me because of something that I might have done. And that usually comes when there is some sort of prolonged nature to this test or trial. Or when the trial comes when I feel like I was at the best state of my faith. You know, I feel like this was a time when I was doing everything right and that's when this all came. Or trials come, you know, in succession. And that's usually the way that it works. One hits you and then the next one hits you and the next one hits you. You start asking these questions like, what have I done? What what did I do for this to happen? Is there some sort of punishment that is behind this? Is it some sort of disobedience that I have committed? And a question that I get asked multiple times is, how do I know if I'm passing the test? And this is really where I want to focus on Insha'Allah ta'ala towards the end of this khutbah. How do I know if I'm passing the test? I know I'm being tested, it's very obvious right now. How do I know if I'm passing this test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now first and foremost, I want to cover this concept from the perspective of punishment. The reason being, because we have to actually ask the question, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punish people in this life for their deeds? Is this the place where punishment takes place? You read about nations of the past that were destroyed, but we know that this is not the norm of how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala deals with nations post what we read about of those destroyed nations in the past. Overall, there's a loss of barakah, there's a loss of blessing, there could be destruction that comes upon a people of tyranny, and we know that tyranny provokes destruction in the long run, but at the same time, you don't see the immediacy that you hear about in the stories in the Quran. <coughs> and so there are a few ayat. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called them to account for what they have earned, then surely He would have hastened their punishment. Of course, this is in Surah al kahf which we read every Friday. If Allah was going to call them to account for what they had done, he would have certainly hastened their punishment. What does that mean? Can you imagine the nature of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we immediately faced consequences for our sins? Believer, disbeliever, whatever it may be, you know, if every single time you commit a sin, something bad happens to you. Like you're wearing a device that shocks you with pain. Every single time you commit a sin. But it doesn't work that way. Because instead Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delays you. And gives you a chance to be reminded and to repent and to actually turn that sin into a good deed. Because a sin that you repent from will ultimately show up in your book on the day of judgment as a good deed. And Allah says, this is for everyone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and if Allah were to seize mankind. For their wrongdoing, for their transgressions. He would not leave on it a single moving creature, meaning there would not be a single creature on earth that would be able to survive that because we all slip sometimes. No one would survive that type of relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this life. None of us would get past that. But instead Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says He postpones them. And when their term comes to a conclusion, they cannot delay it for a single moment, nor can they bring it forward. When the time comes for that reward and for that punishment, there is no way that you can move it forward, and there is no way that you can delay it. So this is the first thing that Allah covers in the nature of this relationship, that it's for your benefits that there isn't an immediate consequence or reward for your deeds. That would completely defeat the purpose of the test of this world as a whole, if things happen with immediacy, right? This whole concept of belief in the unseen and another realm where the consequences are greater and eternal, it would defeat the purpose of believing in a Lord that is unseen. All of that would go out the window and it's truly to our benefit that we're not seized every every single time we commit a sin. And Allah Jalla says, سَنَسْتَدْرِجُهُم And This was the one that used to scare the companions. That sometimes, in fact, we will reel them in from places that they don't realize blessings can be a form of punishment. Because a person increases in tyranny, increases in sin, and what they see as a result of that is an increase in goodness in this life. And so that, pro- that provokes a certain type of arrogance and an invincibility that you start to see in the tyrants in the Qur'an, right, that prototype, that here I am increasing in my transgression, and it seems like things are only getting better for me. And in the process, they're actually only being reeled in to a greater punishment, because they're increasing their share of punishment in the greater sense, in the hereafter. And why were the Sahaba scared of this? Because the Sahaba lived through moments of great difficulty, they lived through moments where they didn't think they were going to survive the trials of this world. They were persecuted, they were ambushed, they, they had their loved ones mutilated, they struggled from poverty, they struggled through the hijra, through the migration. They lived through the worst of times and then they got to see the glory days in this world. Allah blessed them and they were given victory and they got to see goodness. And so, who used to worry most from this ayah? Umar bin khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Khabbab ibn Arat radiallahu ta'ala anhu You hear about these people that went through great difficulties. And one of the things about being in great difficulty, and some of us might be able to reflect back on some of our most difficult times, is you say to yourself, you know, at least I knew at that time that I was close to Allah. Some people interpret trial the exact opposite way. I knew at that time when I was struggling, when I was going through this and that, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that I was enjoying a certain closeness to him. I knew where my rank was with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now, the blessings are actually confusing me. The ease of the situation is is confusing me because I don't know, where I stand in that regard. So Allah says, Some people, they're being reeled in from a direction that they don't expect. And subhanAllah, look at the believer on the other hand. Whoever is conscious of Allah, Allah will make a way out for them and provide for them from ways they don't expect. And so, they have directions of sustenance, directions of sustenance, pathways of goodness that they may not be considering. Just as on the other hand, there could be directions of punishment that the others are not considering. So you're not really understanding that this door of risk, this pathway of goodness that came to you is directly tied to this. Just as a person might be punished with something that seems so good, but they don't realize that that's actually a direction of pulling them, Away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to ultimately what will not be of benefit to them. And the, the scholars also mentioned here notice that when Allah talks about the discourse of those who are being punished with blessings, even if everything on the outside seems good, there's still the void on the inside that actually lends itself to a tortured existence. So you see someone and you're like, why do they have all this despite their disobedience, despite the, the, the horrible things that they do, why do they have all this goodness in this world? And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? فَلَا تُعْجِبْكَ أَمْوَالُهُمْ وَلَا أَوْلَادُهُمْ إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not be amused by what they have, of their wealth, and of their children, and things of that sort, the worldly possessions that have been given to them. That, in fact, is a means of punishment for them. Because the more they're given in this life, and still not feeling a sense of fulfillment and happiness on the inside that can only come with iman, the more frustrated and dejected they're actually getting. So it seems to be great on the outside. The exterior seems to be getting better and better and better, and you might just be seeing the exterior and thinking to yourself, wow, that seems like a great life. Why are all these great things happening for them? This seems to be a life of glamour. And this is, of course, one of the problems, that you always see other people's blessings, but you only see your own hardships. You don't see your blessings and their hardships. You see their blessings, and you see your own hardships. And your hardships are magnified And their blessings, which are the ones that are usually being put out there are masking hardships that you don't see. So Allah is saying that even if they have the blessings of this world and the goodness of this world, there is still punishment in the emptiness on the inside that can only be filled with Iman. And so don't envy them. Don't be amused. And it's punishment for them in this life and it's even worse when the soul departs from them in that state. Right? And they have to face the consequences of their deeds and of those actions. So the believers on the other hand, the righteous, they're given barakah in what they have. They're given blessing in what they have. They always have perspective because of the faith that is inside their hearts. Because of what is inside the vessel, they always have perspective. li amril Mu'min, the Prophet say, said, he said how strange and amazing is the affair of the believer. It's the Iman that allows the believer to have perspective. They have perspective with the good that they have. They have perspective with the hardships that they have. They use it always to propel them to be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing goes to waste in this life or in the next as long as they maintain that precious provision of Iman, of faith. They keep it on the inside. And so everything around them, makes sense, as long as they have that on the inside. Not the specifics of the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the nature of their relationship with Allah and blessings and trials. It all makes sense to them in that sense. The most important takeaway from this, and then I'll move on insha'Allah (coughs) ta'ala, and I want you to remember this. This life is not Darul hisab This is not the realm of accountability. This is Darul Amal. This is the realm of deeds. This is not darul hisab, this is darul amal. This is not the realm in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allots punishments and rewards. So when you try to read that on someone else or on yourself, you're going to fail. This is the realm of the test, ayyukum, ahsanu amala. This is the realm where you're tested with what you're going to do. And that should be your focus. So someone would say, well. Is there a framework at least in the deen for classifying trials? Is there some sort of framework to where I'm not completely in the dark then? And the answer is yes. Three frames. The first frame. Tests that are endured because you did good. When you endure a trial because of something noble that you did. fi sabitillah. You missed out on something because of your insistence on your principles. You were taken advantage of because you weren't dirty like the other person. You did not harm, you refused to oppress. You put forth something for the sake of Allah. You gave of your time, of your wealth, of your health, whatever it may be, for the sake of Allah, for something noble. And you endured a test in that. That is the best thing that could happen to you. Because that means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has stored the entire reward of that for the hereafter. He's taken the entire reward of that. And you know that's a reward. That's not a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you are tested in the capacity of doing good, when you can directly tie the trial to a good deed. And so I just want everyone to leave with this, in particular in this first frame, never regret something you do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ever. Ever. Even if it yields the most difficult things in this life. Never regret something you do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not in, not in relationship to him alone, or as it re- is, is in regards to other people. Don't regret your ihsan. Don't ever regret your good doing. Because a trial that comes in the capacity of that is a reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because all it means is that there is a greater reward for you that Allah has stored for you in the hereafter. So that's frame number one. Frame number two, second category of trials, are tests that are directly tied to a sin. So you commit a sin, and you're tested within that sin or in a way that is directly tied to that sin that is certainly a punishment just like category one is certainly a reward that's certainly a punishment however that punishment could be a reminder to repent and it turns that punishment into something of your favor so even then it's not an absolute punishment because you still have an opportunity to take it from being a punishment to being something else, but if something happens to you in the capacity of your doing wrong, then of course you take that as a punishment from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Of course you take that as a wake-up call, that Allah is sending you a very specific message to leave off that disobedience. Category 3 is everything else, every other test, the test that you can't directly tie to a good deed, nor can you directly tie to a sin. And that's where that test could either be a punishment, or it could be a reward, or it could be a reminder. And you don't know. And the only way that you can know at that point whether it's punishment or reward is by your response. How did you respond to it? The way that you respond to it is going to determine whether it's a reward or a punishment. If you respond to it with obedience, with good, then it's a reward. If you respond to it with bad, then it's a punishment. So it is entirely predicated on your response, and this is the majority of the tests that come our way. It's about your response. You will not get to the specifics of the decree, but you understand the specifics of your response. How are you going to respond to that test and to that trial that comes to you? And so the believer does not focus on why Allah is testing them in this dunya but how you are doing with the test of deen. It's not about how Allah is testing me in the worldly sense, how am I responding with the revelation that he has sent to me. Now I want to end on this because it's probably the most important point here inshallah, because it's very very often missed. We know that the Prophet said, الصبر You know when people ask, how do I know if I'm passing the test? Patience is at the first strike. The scholars say this is of two types. The first strike is the immediate response to the trial when it comes to you. But we all know that sometimes, you know, I actually respond well in the beginning, but then I lose myself later on. Some trials, they hit you, and your initial response is actually decent. It's when the test is prolonged that you start to fall off the path, right? Some trials, and and most people, right? It's It's the first moments where the character that you show, the response that you show, is going to determine your response all along. But I know that some of us have been through something where in the beginning it was like, okay, alhamdulillah, but then like, when the pain of that lingered on, the trial lingered on, or when I realized what has actually been lost by that loss that I encountered, it started to get harder, right? And so the scholars say this, and this is very important. When it comes to patience, with those long trials, and knowing whether or not you pass the test, do not get tied up with the specifics of the test. However, measure your patience by your progress and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most simple sentence I want you to remember, measure your patience by your progress. What does patience look like in the very beginning? Alhamdulillah, <laughs> inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi you praise God, and you say that to Him we belong, and to Him we return. That's a salmat ula. The long-standing part of that—it's not your posts online about how you're being patient. It's not just saying alhamdulillah after that. It's whether or not there is progress in your obedience to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, progress in your relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So you trace back. Everything to the only criteria that you know, the criteria of obedience and disobedience. Am I becoming a better Muslim? Am I becoming a better believer as a result of this test and trial that's coming to me? Or am I actually maintaining status quo in regards to my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Are things actually being transformed or am I insisting on disobedience to Allah? If you're insisting on disobedience to Allah, the first strike of patience has already passed where you say Alhamdulillah. It's not just saying Alhamdulillah at that point. Because it was meant to be a reminder to you too. Go back to that criteria and measure your patience by your progress. So again, dear brothers and sisters, I know the questioning gets to us, the the, the, the need for closure gets to us, don't get caught up in the beginning. Don't get caught up in the specifics. Go back to the criteria. As one of the scholars said, that you know when a person uh, commits a sin and then they cry about it, but then they go back to the same sin. He said, a person who truly fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not someone who just cries and then wipes their tears. The one who's truly afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the consequences of that sin is the one who leaves that which is causing them to have that apprehension in the first place. It's not about just shedding tears. It's not about just the emotional sense of patience, the emotional sense of repentance. How do I get back to actually making progress in my journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? May Allah increase us in obedience and in righteousness and in goodness with the blessings that he gives to us and with the trials. May the ease that he sends to us be a reminder that all of those blessings come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they are there to pursue the greatest blessing of his pleasure and entrance into his paradise. And may the hardships that come to us in this life be a reminder that there will come a time that all that we have in this life will be gone and that the greatest hardship is the hardship of the hereafter. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the best of this life and the best of the hereafter. And to protect us from the punishment, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي حَسْنًا الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابِ النَّارِ اللَّهِ I will say that Allah المتقين the one وسلم the one who is the one who is the one عليه the one وصحبه the تسليما who is اللهم one who is والمؤمنات one who is الأحياء منهم والأموات إنك one who is the الدعوات اللهم the لنا who is واعف عنا ولا تعذبنا ربنا who is نكوننا من الخاسرين اللهم إنك عفو كريم تحب العفو فاعفو عنا اللهم اخفر لوالدنا رب الحمو ما كما ربونا صغارا ربنا لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم انصر إخوانا المستضعفين في مشارق الأرض مغاربها اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين وأذل الشرك والكاذبين ودمر أعداء الدين اللهم أهلك الظالمين بالظالمين وأخرجنا وإخواننا من بينهم سالمين عباد الله أن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون فاذكروا الله يذكركم واشكروه على النعماء يزد لكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقيم الصلاة